Welcome to the Nerdaplexy Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. We really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wang? And helping us out on this one, it's our own social media three storms. It's Dave. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And you might have noticed this title was not a part of the regular, uh, I don't know, comic mix-em-up. This is a very special bonus episode brought to you by our very special patron and longtime friend of the show, drummer to the stars, it's Steve. For not back by dawn. Call the president. So sit back, relax, and grab your six demon bag as we dive into Big Trouble in Little China. I have to make a confession. Uh oh. Yeah, well, it's uh, it'll only be offensive probably to Sam. What? I've never seen this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. This is only probably my second time seeing this one all the way through. My first time was only like six months ago. Wow. What a shame. Willing to watch it twice in six months. That means you hopefully enjoyed it. This one is a banger. I've seen bits and pieces, but I'd never really sat down and watched it all the way through until recently. And this is my second watch through. Good time. Now, let's go around the table here and see when this was our first time. And actually, Steve, this was your pick for your bonus episode for being a, a, a cool guy. So why'd you pick this? And when was the first time you saw it? I was searching for a movie for you guys to do. And Sam mentioned it on every episode a few casts ago. And uh, it just hit me right in the nostalgia feels. I just grew up with it. It's probably on TV every week. TNT. Fox movie Sundays. <laughs> There's never a long enough interval between my viewings of this movie for me to get nostalgia feelings from it. I watch it at least once a year. <laughs> it's just omnipresent. Those are rookie numbers. I pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. <laughs> <laughs> this is certainly into the rotation now. This is one of those movies that I've seen 20-minute intervals of 100 million times. I've probably seen the breakout uh, when they're breaking the ladies out of jail. I might have seen that scene about 15 times, but never the whole movie. And it's a lot of fun, unedited for TV and all that stuff. But this one, this is the oldest movie we've done. Because of this, maybe some of the Halloween ones. Released July 2nd, 1986. Directed by John Carpenter, the king of VHS. Starring Kurt Russell, James Hong, Dennis Dunn, Kim Cattrall. And I could keep going on, but we have to stop because we'll call out all these guys by name at some point. It seems like all of his movies don't really pick up in theaters. And I don't know if it's because of marketing or whatever, but they all achieve this cult following as soon as they hit VHS. Well, that certainly was the case for this one. Carpenter also got no promotion, and it was released two weeks before Aliens, which was like the most hyped movie of all time. So it was kind of just tossed away. But people love it. It came out on video, and people just ate this one up and bought it forever. And it's the perfect VHS movie. For this watch, I've seen it so many times. I actually listened to the director commentary. So, Ooh, some insights. I have a few random factoids to throw in there, but yeah, they'd said that they had $3 million for marketing. And at this point in time, Kurt Russell was not an unknown, but he had just done like little Disney numbers because he was like the Disney kid for a long time. Like your Selena Gomez types. 
Yeah, but he wasn't necessarily well-known or well-regarded as far as critics were concerned. And he said that the marketing was so bad that he had friends that were like, don't you have a movie coming out? And he's like, yeah, it comes out next week. <laughs> you haven't seen any trailers? <laughs> Do you think Carpenter gets the shaft on marketing because he insisted on doing everything himself? No, that's because no one would give him money to do any of the things. Oh, well, that's also possible. They didn't really have the know-how that they do now for like hitting target audiences with their marketing. I mean, this is like peak Kurt Russell right here, but also uh, with Disney. Famously, one of the last things that uh, Walt Disney wrote before he died was the name Kurt Russell on a notepad by his bed. On a little piece of toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Don't know why. <laughs> But he did. Look it up. On his monogram gold leaf toilet paper. <laughs> he also wrote some very hateful things, but <laughs> they, they ripped their part off. I bet the budget for uh, Aliens and this were very close. Definitely. The advertising budget for Aliens was probably close to this whole budget. The VFX. The same people who did Ghostbusters did this, that boss film. They invented that company for Ghostbusters. Besides Ghostbusters, this is their favorite thing they've ever done. It definitely has a Ghostbusters vibe for sure. The effects are out of this world. This is right around the height and like peak of practical effects. Practical effects were at their like most impressive around like 93 Jurassic Park. Those dinos, mm, baby. But this is also incredible. The Monster Man, just the whole look of this thing is out of this world. That beholder thing. <laughs> that little monster. <laughs> Let's jump into this. The movie starts with a little interview scene. We got Egg Shen sitting in a lawyer's office talking up Jack Burton. This scene was added after the movie was already completely done because the studio was so upset that Jack wasn't the hero hardly at all. So they had to create a scene to try to help you to think that he was the hero just based on that alone. He was like a bumbling idiot who just like lucked into heroism. I love that he's not the hero. Yeah, he's just an everman. He's the fish out of water and he never gets better at it. And Dennis Dunn, Wang, is inarguably the hero of the movie. And Kurt Russell is this big bravado, but basically sidekick. He's a sidekick. That's what makes this movie great, because there is never a point when he is on the right track or effective in any way. I just like that it's unearned confidence, the movie. I'll also say in the director commentary, everybody should check it out. It's on YouTube. It's just John Carpenter and Kurt Russell talking to each other and seemingly having a great time. That I'm in for. So we, we get introduced to Jack Burton driving to Pork Chop Express. Is that what it is? And he has so many great lines, like soliloquies to his CB radio. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. Just listen to the old Pork Chop Express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night, all right? When some wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks you crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. Carpenter killing it with the soundtrack, by the way. He's so good. Yeah. He fucking rips. He truly does rip. No doubt in my mind that this is like one of the best soundtracks to me. I could probably just jam out. But anyway, Kurt Russell learned to drive that truck for this movie because John Carpenter said he didn't want him to tear up the set. <laughs> He's doing a pretty good job. It's very convincing. The fact that the studio wanted Jack to be like the hero of this is so funny because right off the bat, 
he's so obviously a buffoon. He's talking in the third person, telling stories about like his proverbs and stuff. I'm not saying that I've been everywhere and I've done everything. But I do know it's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. A man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. It's not often you get to see the movie like through the eyes of the sidekick. Oh, another word on advertising. Kurt Russell hates the promo picture because it doesn't look anything like him and he wasn't really well known at the time. He said it looks just like Jeff Bridges. Kind of does. It does look like Jeff Bridges. (laughs) Well, Jack has a night of back alley boozing and he's owed some money by his buddy Wang Chi and he offers to take him to the airport to pick up his fiance. Speaking of that debt, though, $1,148 times two. Wang tries to nothing or double him, saying he can cut a bottle in half, and he tries to cut the bottle in half, and Jack Burton's reflexes are so good. The one thing that's even close to, like, a superpower that he has is he's able to just, like, catch stuff out of the air. And I only mention that because it's a Chekhov's reflex. (laughs) Comes up later. Yeah, well, Wang Chi's cheese all out of whack, so he can't do his Shaolin special move. His cheese all wanged. (laughs) His chi is all wanged. Kurt Russell apparently never really drove in his life because he's doing that movie thing where he's like talking mostly and just looking while driving probably 70 down the highway. That seemed to be the thing of the day. Filming driving was must have been much harder back in the day. I always think about those movies where not only are they staring at the people in their car, but you like keep re-seeing the same background pieces go by because they just have a projector on like a loom going in a circle. <laughs> It doesn't make a lot of sense in most situations to have your two lead actors like on a car in a thing driving down the street when you could just like throw it up behind them for that two second clip. That's one of those budget saving things. But I never watched this from a critical standpoint at all because it's just like one of those take me away flicks. But whenever Wang Chi is saying why he wants to go to the airport to pick up Miao Yan, you know, he's saying that she's from China and she's coming to America. And Kurt Russell says, Girl from China. All right. I never done that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could tell it was like so full of shit. It's like the least cool line. He has so many lines that don't mean anything. And one of my favorite lines is they get to the airport and Malian gets got by the Lords of Death. And Jack steps, he tries to step in and a guy pulls out a knife and then like a little baton. And Jack doesn't react at all. He pulls out the knife and he says, what? And then he pulls out the thing and he says, did you get that? He has no idea what's going on. <laughs> at no point. He gets his ass kicked constantly and it's always great. But I will say the Lords of Death fit. Is just right. That drip. Those glasses, the little slit. I love those sunglasses. You couldn't possibly see very well out of those. It's not about how you see, it's about how you look. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they have like full on guns at the airport, so. It's a a simpler time. It's the 80s. That was 86 whenever you were allowed. They look pretty dope, but they are conspicuous. So this is where we get introduced before the ruckus to Gracie Law, who's there trying to help out. A lady not get kidnapped while another lady does get kidnapped. They lose him in the parking lot, basically. Fun fact, in the parking lot, that's filmed in reverse. Oh, they're driving away really fast? Yeah, they're acting in reverse so that they don't get hit by a car. There was like a moment where they have their hands up and it looks kind of weird. That was where they started the scene and then they went back from there. If they're acting in reverse, yeah. do they say cut first? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they say tuck. No, they say... Nice. <laughs> well, okay, we well, have to say that at the end. 
after instead of cut. So anyhow, they go on the run. They get the car. They're driving down the road. They're chasing these babies. They lose them in downtown San Francisco. Drifting in his truck. Yeah, that drift. In Little China, where the trouble may or may not be of varying sizes, but seems big. So this is kind of where the Alice through the looking glass moment where they drive that gigantic truck down that very tiny alley. Now everything has changed. We are now in Little China proper and in for some big trouble. <laughs> in this alleyway, we're treated to a funeral procession. We're come to find out that the people that are proceeding are the good guys and the people in black and red are bad guys. As if you couldn't figure it out by the fact that they brought guns to a funeral. Yeah, that's the usual tale. <laughs> I love their style, though, because at first they don't shoot anybody. They just use the guns to waste the coffin and the side. I think the good guys are the Chang Sings and the bad guys are the Wing Kong. For the record, I really like that they did a bunch of exposition. They are a gang, but they're a good gang. What about the red turbans? Well, they're bad guys. Those are definitely bad guys. <laughs> also, studio note where John Carpenter said he didn't want you to know who the good or bad guys were at the point, which is to my point. I think you could figure it out. Wang Chi says, don't panic, Jack. They're OK. They're good guys. We get our first sight of the butcher goatee man. Just an iconic look. The guy who's bald on top with the big old mustache. Great look. He uses that look a lot. I like the guy with the bullets, with the uh, the bandolier of bullets. He's pretty good. I like that they all had like bow staffs in the uh, coffin ready to pull out just in case someone shot it up. Those are used to carry the coffin, right? So there's just like traditional pallbearer things, but they're more weaponized. But they don't come out super quick like that. Yeah, I was going to say they were definitely weaponized. Well, you have to consider the origin of Kung Fu is... In the 1200s or whatever, farmers, well, they were, there were no weapons, right, traditionally in China, and these people were coming to these farmers' fields, and they were just basically taking all of their crops and just bugging out. So the farmers had to improvise this fighting style with their farming equipment. Sickles and shit. Yeah, exactly. So that's why you see all the, the cool kung fu weapons are just like kind of based on old farm equipment. But why did one of the storms have back scratchers? Yeah, karate's the same way. That's why they're so obsessed with breaking wood because samurai armor was wood so they got really good at punching wood so yeah so them improvising that casket holder or having weapons prepped in the casket holder now kind of makes you wonder i don't want to get a backstory of the funeral because maybe there's nobody in there maybe that was kind of like a bait i was waiting for them to pull guns out of the fucking coffin that would have been dope great marksmanship by those guys too they didn't hit the truck once that truck was spotless (laughs) (laughs) well it has that same extra luck plus one luck that Jack Burton has imbued in the Porkchop Express. My favorite Jack Burton move ever is when he pulls out his trusty boot knife, holds it straight up and down like an ice cream cone, and then doesn't do anything. It just sits there. Got it at the ready. He sees guns in the crowd, and he's in his cab of his truck, pulls out his boot knife, and just sits there with it, and then drives away eventually screaming, still holding it like an ice cream cone. It's incredible. All this action is happening, all this massive fights and everything's happening, but the main characters are just like trapped in the cab of this truck, and they can't get out. They don't do anything in that fight. What's happening, Wang? Chinese standoff. A what? (laughs) In that fight, there's definitely a unique part. A bad guy tries to hit a good guy with a plank of wood. Good guy grabs it, braces it behind his head, and knees him so hard in the head it breaks a plank of wood. I thought that was the coolest thing. (laughs) Dude, the fight choreography was on point. Just one little spot. This was like one of the cooler kung fu fights. 
all of these fights are great. And this scene in particular has some amazing arm and leg breaks. Super gnarly. Maybe real arm and leg breaks. Practical. And back scratches, Dave. Yes, it has these two electric back scratchers. Ka-ching, yep. ka-ching. <laughs> Little spinning forks. The one guy is spinning forks. The other guy has really long back scratchers. The three storms arrive. Thunder, lightning, and rain. Rain. Yes, rain. Peter Kwan. Is this where Raiden came from? Yes. That's correct. That's so dope. And Thunder is played by Carter Wong. He's kind of like an action star in his own right. He has some cool flicks. Uh, one called Born Invincible. If you like this, you should check out Born Invincible. Has he been a bad guy in a lot of stuff? Yeah, okay, here he is in Rambo 3. He looks like he makes a good heavy, you know? He is a bad guy in a lot of stuff. Born Invincible, he's a good guy, though. He's like the leading man. They give him, like, the white hair in Born Invincible, which I love. Oh, yeah. Pai Mei. A lot of heavy pedigree from, like, Chinese film and everything. If you look on the old IMDb. Our favorite corner. Oh, yeah. Lightning was found through modeling, and you can tell because that dude is handsome as hell. He's a cutie. James Pax. There's a bunch of good character actors. Jeff Amata, Needles. He's the one guy. He's pretty good. You see him a lot. Fight choreographer Jeff Amata. Oh, he's a fight choreographer as well. That's probably why I see. Why well, probably why you see him a lot because he's probably in a lot of his movies. You want it done right. So they're doing a fight. Eventually, Jack's sad enough. He's out of here. He floors it. All of the storms stand in front of the truck and do cool moves to get out of the way. Then Lopan appears and he just gets run over. <laughs> Very good. Weird flex. He does a little like, come on over here with two fingers, like, so to speak. Then he flashes them, his smile, which takes us to our parody porner. <laughs> big butt in Little China. Mm, oh, wow. I was going to say big trouble in Little China. Also, <laughs> that's much better. <laughs> you can also go character names like Big Wang in Little China. There it is. Dick Trouble. That sounds like a commercial <laughs> subtitle, not a movie. That's more of an advertisement, really. Yeah. Hey there. You got Dick Trouble? Question mark. And then we know just the website you should go to. Big Wang and Little Jack's Hole. I don't know. That's a twist about. <laughs> Jack and Wang. <laughs> that's that's a pretty good one <laughs> my favorite john cougar mellencamp song they suck down real chili dogs in that one that'd be a great name for a uh asian adult actor though jack and wang okay so lopan appears they get out oh that's what i wanted to mention uh dave you mentioned that that was the inspiration for raiden allegedly lopan is also the inspiration for shang sung when you can see he's trying to suck out jack's soul with his your soul mine <laughs> with his mouth with his mouth suck we're past the parody pointer we have to stop saying things like mouth suck <laughs> you had to hear it after you said it right it's fine <laughs> they make it out they make it out fine jack's all right he's got to get a little mud splashed on his eyes from a puddle he's fine and here's where we see jeff amata because he's one of the lords of death i think the Aaron boys for the wing kong we come to find out they escape through a little tunnel which i love i think every house should have a little escape tunnel such as that house. There's so many escape tunnels in this movie. They're all over. Secret passageways after the shadow. I think about it a lot, how much I would really like some more secret ways into different rooms in my house or ways out of my house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Makes sense in canon, though, because Egg says later that they built Chinatown on top of like the magic trouble verse or whatever. So having all those escapes, it all kind of makes sense because they're coming and going into the underworld and whatever. It's my favorite extended magic trouble verse the greater big trouble verse which actually includes tim allen 
I knew it was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Over top of the many hells, which we come to learn about. But Jack is mad because he lost his truck here. And Wang says, how do you think I feel, Jack? I lost the whole girl. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. We get another introduction to Gracie Law as she walks in and says, don't panic. It's only me, Gracie Law. There's a lot of exposition in this movie. It had to be studio noted. Yes, I believe you are correct. But oftentimes it's just super effective storytelling. Later, when they have like the debrief at the restaurant where they're all there and the reporter's there, and they're like, Lopan. You mean the David Lopan that's chairman of the National Orient Bank and owns the Wing Kong Import Export Trading Company, but who's so reclusive that no one's even laid eyes on this guy in years? He's a pillar of the community. But never mind, he controls a dozen restaurants, movie theaters, and funeral homes, and supports candidates from both major parties. He supports both political parties, which, which is a really funny note. <laughs> <laughs> a simpler time. All of that stuff is so great because then Gracie does it later when she's talking about the Wing Kong distributing. This is a great movie. How long is this? Not very. Hour 36, I think. It's so dense. Yeah, it's not very long. How do they cram that many hells in just an hour and a half? The characters get really tight really fast. By the end, they're like all best friends. That's definitely something they use in a lot of movies, right? You have these extraordinary events that draw these people close together. Which I think happens in real life. Say you're in a tunnel cave-in or something. You probably make one of your best friends there, if, assuming you all live. You have that shared trauma. You and all the rats. If you see a man float down lightning, honestly, a Chinese standoff would be enough to do it for almost anybody, but you throw in the three storms. No one's ever going to believe this, so you're my best friend now because you'll believe it because you were here with me. I hope somebody snagged those hats at the end. They're so good. They're really good hats. I feel like the Highlander did. I think you're right about that. It does look exactly like the hat from the Highlander. The Highlander, Chris Lambert, who plays Raiden. That's actually what I was thinking. My brain is broken. Speaking of brains being broken, how about the time whenever they explain how elevators work and that (laughs) the numbers go not backwards, but downwards? Jack, check this out. So what is this, Chinese or something counting backwards? Not backwards, downwards. Yes. Didn't know if you knew that. That's how elevators work. It is. They go up and down. <laughs> if you're on the top floor, the numbers only go down. It was a shock to him. <laughs> then again, I might be uh, jumping a bit forward. That's okay. You're well within your rights to jump wherever you want. You give us $5 a month. You could jump forward. You could jump backward. You can cross movies. You could slide to the left. Oh, wow. Crisscross. And you could clap your hands. But no hops. No hops. We draw the line of hops. Too loud. Yes. So we meet a (laughs) reporter who's looking for her big break, and they're all becoming great buddies at Gracie Law's apartment. Planning the raid on the White Tiger brothel. Yes. I guess Gracie's in like a anti-human trafficking thing. If you look a little bit deeper, it's pretty cool. There's a lot said in deleted scenes, um, but Gracie grew up in China. Her parents were killed in China. She came back to America really young, and that was sort of the basis of her character. I like that. The trouble verse filling out nicely. Gracie gives Kurt Russell a uh, dried seahorse drink in the deleted scene as well. I'm not surprised that that exists, but it does sound nightmarish. You guys ever tried dried fish? You go to like the Asian supermarket and get a bunch of weird stuff? Yes. Did a dried octopus. Every once in a while, I'll get like this Taste of Japan box. Oh, hell yeah. Because mostly it's Japanese candy, which is delicious. But sometimes I'll throw in like the more savory things like these fish strips and they're just terrible. I hate them. But I mean, I tried them, of course. We get yum boxes or some bullshit. I don't know what they're called, but it's like each month is a different country's snacks. 
So anyway, Yumbox, Taste of Japan, anytime. Yumbox and Little China. There it is. They're good, though. I don't like that. that yeah, there you go. Parody Porner. I don't know if that's a good ad for them, though. <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> there goes the sponsor. Yumbox, call us up. We'll do all kind of porn parodies. Lost them before we could ever get them. <laughs> Sam wants to box you, Yumbox. Get in the ring. Wait, that's the, that's the wrong bit. No, that's very specific bit for Alan Moore. Uh, Robert Townsend, not Pete Townsend, but Pete Townsend too. Any Townsend. Leave Pete Townsend alone. I could kick his ass. You probably could. I'm not even particularly fit. Pete Townsend's just real old. He's very old, yes. (laughs) Okay, so they're going to the White Tiger brothel. Jackson Disguise. I love his character work here. He tries to break in. Henry Swanson's my name, and excitement's my game. (laughs) I can't believe I watched this movie as a kid. I can't believe it. It always sneaks up on you. They probably just cut that stuff out and it's straight to the three storms blowing the roof off the place. Oh, no. I remember that suit. I bet they cut like a minute and a half out of that. (laughs) For sure. I feel like you could get away with a guy going to a brothel saying he wants a girl with green eyes as long as nothing materializes. The way his hair was parted, that brings down the temperature in the room a full 20 degrees. Exactly. You know what? I want to see more of that guy. More Swanson? He had that character already set. Bring it back, Kurt Russell. Do you think like when he's out on the road, sometimes he has to pull out Henry Swanson to like bum money off of people or something? <laughs> he talks so much into the CB radio, like he probably makes his own characters and everything. It's full ass radio drama. He has a fleshed out backstory for Henry Swanson, I'm so sure. <laughs> well, the three storms re-steal Mao Yin and Jack is consistently ineffective. He gets karate kicked across the room. Right in the chin. He must have a concussion from here on out because he does not act right. (laughs) No, he just stands straight up, basically, and just leaves because there's nothing he could do now, I guess. I got kicked. I'm out. They bring him back, and they decide that they need to break into Wing Kong Exchange with a half-assed disguise. Holding a phone. Bulletproof ruse like the wind. (laughs) As the phone company, (laughs) but they're the phone company, and the way that they show up, all they have is a phone. No way this could fail. No worries. I brought this touch tone fun. Wearing fucking knee high tie up boots, a Wang Chung tank top, and like a motorcycle jacket. The most conspicuous outfit. You know what? That's the best part. 2022, they would still get away with that, I bet. Security guard would just be like, nah, I don't get paid enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just walk right there. Okay. Yeah. Those security guards are packing heat, though. They wanted to kill somebody, they were ready. <laughs> you wouldn't think the guys with the AKs would be lax. It's a Fu Manchu tank top. Fu Manchu. What did I say, Wing Chun? Yeah. <laughs> but everybody does have fun tonight because they get into the basement using just that phone. I think probably David Lopan is viewing the security footage and just saying, like, whatever, let him in. They couldn't possibly do anything. Well, they're walking directly into the trap. The door opens in front of the elevator. That You did that, right? I guess so. I hope so. And then they just go in. So trusting. My favorite joke happens right here when they look at the door and he says, (laughs) One of the many hells anyway. Well, sure it was a war. And anybody that showed up was going to join Lemley in the hell of being cut to pieces. Hell of being what? Chinese have a lot of hell. And what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? Jesus Christ, where are we? Hell of the upside down. 
then you better exert it now. Otherwise, I will have both of you roll off to the hell where people are skinned alive. Open! Or he dies and then the king die! And your soul speed with his to the hell of the oily dragon! Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I need to do it so that I don't forget. There is a comic book that came out fairly recently in the last five years, started by Eric Powell, and they do venture into some of those many hells. So in case you need to get a visual on some of these hells, they do that for you. And they add some more hells. It's a great trade. More on that a little later on. What's a great trade? Making more hells is a good trade. The group of comic books. Trade paperback. I'm kind of interested in the more hell trade. <laughs> you can get this at community college. You know, it's like VCR repair. Uh, hotel management, Hell's Construction. Um, they get trapped in the elevator. They're in the Upside Down Sinners. They don't die, but they do get captured. And quickly, Jack is taken to the hell of rubber ball torture. Clown nose. <laughs> Going back real quick, does anybody else, like whenever you see a character suddenly like immerse in water and they got to swim to escape, does anybody else hold your breath or is it just me? Just to see if they could do it. I get really nervous. I'm a terrible swimmer, so I don't. I know I couldn't do it. Seeing an actor holding his breath underwater is like, you have to get out of there. You have to get up. I got to challenge myself. I got to see if I can hold my breath. Playing a lot of video games, if there's like an underwater level, oh, it's miserable for me. I hate it. Even Mario, when he goes underwater, I'm like, buddy, we're supposed to live up top, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but in Odyssey, you can at least throw your hat. The, the thing my dad always says, it's like important to have healthy fears of things that can kill you. So when talking about swimming underwater, he says, you know, you can't breathe down there. <laughs> and I think that's good. I'll take that with me to my grave. That is the best advice that our dad has given us. That is true. Yeah. You can't breathe down there. No oxygen down there. You need that. And that's up here, not down there. But in Mario Odyssey, you can throw your hat onto a fish. There's more H's than O's down there. It's a problem. But no hose. Although water comes from a hose. Good joke. Let's go. Uh, we see that James packs lightning. And damn if he's not got flowing locks and great sideburns. He's whipping up on Jack Burton with little rubber balls. Doing a quick torture. But I believe this is right around the time the Scooby gang shows up and is immediately gassed. And there's a deleted scene here where Carter Wong... Thunder gets to actually give them a tour of the exports and things they do. Like you're walking past like the assembly line and stuff before they get into the elevator. Poor guy. He's got a pretty bad English accent or American accent, I should say. So that's probably why a lot of it's cut. Still an enthusiastic tour guide, though. I really like his style, though. The suit, cigar. Come on. He trained for that. Weren't they talking to David Lopin, <laughs> the old man version, when they got gassed? Yeah, that's interspersed. And there's so many great lines there, too. Just to name a few, David Lopin wheels in and he's this really old man. Looks nothing like the David Lopin he saw on the streets. So Jack's pretty confused. He says, well, I don't get this at all. And Lopin is very snippy. He's like, Shut up, Mr. Button. You are not brought upon this world to get it. <laughs> and then he's going to send him to the hell where people are skinned alive. <laughs> and he says, It's that symbol, understand? When they come in, He's looking at the camera and goes, Who are these people? Friends of yours, huh? Now, this really pisses me off to no end. That line is amazing. <laughs> I loved it. He is making a freaking meal out of this scene. Out of any every scene, he's just, just chewing the scenery up, man. Old Man Lupin is great. Yeah, and we learn the conceit of him going for this green-eyed woman, too. And it's that he has to appease Ching Dai, one god, for whatever reason. Anyway, he's immortal, but he's immortal in this old body. And if he can appease Ching Dai, 
he'll have his youth, and he'll have mortality, which is a very rare thing for the big evil guy to be wanting so badly. It is a curse of immortality, certainly. His transformation must have taken forever for this one 10-second shot right before he transforms into big tall boy with the lift slow pan, where he glows from inside the old man body and transforms. That was the coolest effect in this whole entire movie. That one has remained with me from my childhood, for sure. That's the part that hit you, like, nostalgia-wise? Oh, yeah. The glowing, the hats, it's all there. What got me was him going through the lattice work. It looked like a Ghostbuster scene to me. And he's on a dolly in that scene. Really? He's holding on to a dolly. You can sort of see like his hands are pulled back. He's just like holding on to somebody pushing him on a dolly. That's pretty awesome. It looks cool. It does look like a Ghostbusters scene. One great thing of exposition, or maybe not exposition because it's not really chased down any further. Wang Chi trying to explain some of these things to Jack Burton. And he's saying, you know, it's about all sorts of scary things. About an ancient army of the dead, the, the spirit city, and monkey sacrifices. And the first sovereign emperor of China. Almost none of it makes any sense, but it does capture the imagination. The world building that goes on here paints such a picture. And it's just these little tantalizing glimpses. They explain things kind of, sort of, but always with more questions. Like at the end when he says, how are we going to defeat him? And Egg's like, oh, the six demons died. Like, what? And then never say a thing about that. It just moved right past. What's in it, Egg? Win. Fire, all that kind of thing. Jack's like, Wang, you're not telling me everything. And, and Wang's like, oh, yeah, myths and legends. And like, what does that podcast have to do with anything? <laughs> A little crossover for you. That's one of my favorite things about this whole movie is that Jack is an outsider. At one point, he says, feel a little like an outsider here. You are. We're always like on the cusp of getting into this like 100% fantastical world. But like we keep saying, it's through the view of Jack Burton. So it's all more like kind of rooted in the real world still with just these few glimpses of underground monsters and things that don't necessarily pan out or low pan out. Even the restaurant workers are like murderers. They get in that fight in the garage. and you go, First time you ever plug somebody? Like <laughs> Eddie? <laughs> Eddie plugged somebody before? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Eddie fought Nom, man. You don't know about Eddie. Everybody here is more accomplished than Jack at all points. And we're here from Jack's perspective, stepping into the last 25 minutes of a epic little China Lord of the Rings that's been going on for 2,000 years. Jack steps in at this very last moment. He's just a random character you pick up at the very end to drive the truck, and then he's gone again. And I think that is perfect. He's one of those big birds flying Sam and Frodo to Mordor. Exactly. He's just there for transportation. He's not really a part of the story. And Lopan says, you're not here to understand. And he's also saying that to us. He's saying that directly to the audience. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy the ride. You don't need to understand it. This is not your world. Don't sweat it. All of the best movies do this. Once people start laying out all of the baloney, it's the difference between Star Wars, where Obi-Wan says, your father was a Jedi. They upheld peace in the galaxy. They got laser swords. To Phantom Menace, it's like, well, there's these little guys that live in your blood, and they give you kind of superpowers. You always want to leave 
the audience wanting more. Which way far in the future, the end of the movie is kind of that you still have that unresolved feeling and that was intentional. Make it look like, first of all, if you get enough money for a sequel, you do it. But if you don't, it's okay for a story to end unresolved. But one more note about Lopan's look. Mm -hmm. He's got the real long pinky nail, which I want to say... Double. Right, yeah, and kind of fits into our uh, greater bad fingernail verse of Gideon (laughs) (laughs) or Coke nail verse Gideon and the Crow Yinko and um, I was just watching that Louis Casa Jr. and LGJ LGJ as he is known I just reviewed The Punisher on Letterboxd and I had a big joke about the fingernails and I deleted it all I took it all back I didn't want to put LGJ on blast like that you can't do that I mean we did but you can't (laughs) as far as we know the close-ups were an extra I love that they traded guns Oh, that was great when they everyone's like switched, switched, switched. Yeah, they're just like, oh, you know what? I don't want this. I don't want this. And then, yeah, was it Eddie? Eddie's there stuck holding the pistol. That scene is great. So Jack's like, all right, here we go. And they say, where do we go? And he says, I don't know. And he turns to Eddie and says, where do we go? He says, yep, here we go. Like, okay, good. Such a great character. And more buffoonery where he's like, all right, let's go. The coast is clear. And like immediately it's not clear. Or when he's rescuing the girls and the reporter asks, how are you going to get us out of here? He says, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I barely know how I got to this point. (laughs) How'd they know to jump into the pool? Where else do you go? First off, why did that pool have a direct into the sewer? There's so many problems with that pool. That's explainable because they needed to get the seawater in so they could pump it into the room of upside down sinners to kill these fools. So it was like a water plant. Okay. The sewer water is used to cool the fires of hell. That's why it connects to the sewer water. Right. There it goes. (laughs) Whenever they go to save these women too, Eddie at least murders like two women guards, which is cool with Eddie. Eddie is just plugging people regularly, like you said. It's just the first time you plug the guy. Eddie is no stranger to killing people indiscriminately. There are so many moments in this movie. The camera just lingers, and then you look at his face, and he's like, oh, my God. It's the first time I ever <laughs> killed anybody. And there's so many of those moments. Like, Jack is an idiot. Jack is out of his depth completely, just holding on by the seat of his pants. So good. Jack is every mid-50s-year-old guy that watches Bruce Lee movies. <laughs> That's who this movie was made for. And kids. (laughs) He's always trying to play the hero Jack is. He always believes he's the hero. He keeps like doing these moments with Gracie in the sewer. He pops up and kisses her. She's like, what the hell was that? And it's just just very good. There's that moment, that Han Solo moment where he opens the door or whatever, and they're all there. He tries to help. He pulls out this stupid boot knife again, loses it. Wang fights everybody, and then Jack comes back. Egg Shen comes back, the bus driver. Well, they're waiting in the parking lot with the bus, so they rescue all the girls. Everybody gets out, but Gracie gets caught by that big old Muppet monster. Who, again, has a very important role in the comics. Yes. An explanation, at least, I hope. Everybody but Gracie escapes to the bus and the security guards come out and they just like unload their guns on it which is hilarious but luckily the bus is bulletproof Ike Shen's been around a long time he you know he read the foretellings or whatever on this little bone board consider this is a tour bus that goes through the little china that he knows very full well is capable of uh so bulletproof siding on your bus is like number one the lords of death live next door Yeah, small arms fire is the least of that bus's worries. So they do escape, but Gracie and Mao Yen have been left behind. They didn't rescue them. So they hatch a plan. They need to head back. But while this is all going on, 
Lopan has discovered Gracie also has green eyes. So guess what? What a bin. Double marriage, baby. Two for one. He's polyamorous. And he does explain that like he's had other girls that haven't worked out. There are always others, are there not? But like they didn't have to be Chinese girls with green eyes. It just had to be anybody with green eyes. Well, she's from China. Oh, yeah. That's the deleted scene. She was born there, right? She's a Chinese girl with green eyes. Yeah. I think there are different restrictions. So he has to kill someone with green eyes. No restriction on that one. He has to marry someone with green eyes. The restriction on being born in China, I think, is there. And he was willing to marry Miao Yen and kill Miao Yen. But Gracie Law having green eyes, what luck. I can marry Miao Yen and live out my earthly desires and kill Gracie Law to satisfy. I think there's two folks he's got to satisfy. One being Ching Dai. Yes. The other is the first emperor of China. First emperor of China. He just wants to see people with green eyes dead. Yeah, he has to kill his love. Is like, yeah, that's his thing. That That's the one curse. What do you guys think of the hypnotizing blade dance that these guys have to do? The interpretive fight dancing. I can never tell if Gracie's like fully hypnotized or not, but I mean, she must be for that, I guess. She's resistant to it. And she comes back later and then she just boom right out. I think that there's a little more focus on her and she is then hypnotized. And when she's like holding on to the swords and floating in the air, she's still hypnotized. But whenever she hears Jack Burton make loud noises like he does, she's snapped out of it. Yes, he does. It kind of reads to me like a Lovecraftian thing where the mind has to be susceptible. This is my headcanon because all of the magic boys, they always have a incredibly long wind up. So I think it's it rules that they have to make you scared to get more power over you, which is why lightning has to do his big lightning dance and shoot lightning everywhere else first before he can zap you. Why do the shows if not? To answer your question, I think the uh, hypnotizing dances are perfect and should be 10 minutes longer. Yes, and for my headcanon, Miao Yan being born in China is what makes her more susceptible to this Chinese mystic power. Aha. They do say specifically Chinese black magic. Exactly. So it's like skeleton key rolls. You have to already believe in it then. I think you're correct. That's the answer. A little disappointed that the lightning guy didn't get to do a a dance, but I guess there's fire codes. It was cut for time, I think, you know. He gets to do the wire fighting sword dance later on. No wire fighting. It's a lot of trampoline work. Wire fighting didn't really get its renaissance until um, Iron Monkey, Crouching Tiger. I mean, I think a lot of these had it. I hate to be this guy, Dave, but while they're flying sideways and like clacking swords. They're not really flying. They're definitely laying on a table. (laughs) I thought for sure it was like wire work or whatever. Just <laughs> They trampoline in and then out of frame. And then when they're out of frame, they're laying down. And then they're back in frame for kind of a reverse thing. That does seem easier. So actually it seems more fun than wires. Yeah, it does. Trampolines are fun, guys. That's true. Trampolines are fun. The more you know. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Whoosh. My neighbor's got a trampoline. They got to jump on that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it. Take some pics for the, we'll put them up on the, over at nerdaplexy.com. <laughs> Sam was displeased. No, I'm, I'm, I'm Googling. <laughs> you, you checking out the prices of trampolines. The movie that was a big influence on this are a couple of them. The one is uh, Zoo Warrior from the Mystic Mountain. They do a lot of this reverse film work. Somebody will do a flip off of a higher platform to a lower platform, but then they'll reverse it to make it look like this dude is like super dope and he can do a flip from down here on the bottom floor and land on this higher platform. 
you know, it looks insane whenever you watch it, but it does make it look a little bit more magical. So I think that's a little bit of the camera work they use here. And another movie where they did flying sword fights is, I think it's a Taiwanese flick called Sword of Flame. I have to check myself on that one, but you can do your own research. Is it Sword of Flame and Night? No. No, that's Elden Ring. Sorry. Fortunately for Jack, he doesn't have to do any research because Egg Shen has got it covered. He's taken over now, and they are ramping up to do an infiltration. They're going to move through the underground, the magical underground, and they got to get ready. They traverse over the black blood of the earth. That is not water. Black blood of the earth? What you mean, oil? I mean black blood of the earth. The little bastard sorcerer has brought them through the bog of the dead trees. Yes, and then that big bug comes out and eats one of them. No one cares except for Jack. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's amazed. <laughs> they throw some magic and say, we'll come out no more. What? They're just like, well. Huh? We'll come out no more. Come on. I assume one of the demons from the six demon bag makes that possible. Egg has a flask of some liquid that they don't know anything about, but Jack Burton has finally been completely <laughs> immersed. He has been completely desensitized. Yeah. And yes, immersed in this mysticism where he's like, What's in the flask, egg? Magic potion? Yeah. Thought so. Good. What do we do? Drink it? Yeah. Good. I thought so. Screen <laughs> stuff. That's it. He's like, okay, nothing else can surprise me. You, I thought I was had at least a little bit of control, but I can't. I'm just going with the flow. He's totally bought in. You think he knows he's a character in a movie at this point? He's just like, yeah, okay, <laughs> this is what I do. I think after they drink the juice, maybe. He knows he's on a fantastic voyage. Right before they drink it, Wang Chi asks Jack, um, are you afraid? And he says, afraid? Are you kidding? And then turns away from everybody and makes the saddest face for like a second and he's like oh my god i'm so afraid yeah he's horribly afraid kurt russell is doing such good work they cheers this flask with some weird military cheers here's to the army and navy and the battles they have won here's to america's colors the colors that never run may the wings of liberty never lose a feather it leads me to believe that there's some backstory that wang and jack were maybe in the military together or else that makes absolutely no sense i mean it might just make no sense so they get on the elevator and the elevator scene is also one of the funniest parts of the whole movie. Oh, they're just vibing in there. They're like, hey, guys. They're super vibing. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I feel, I feel kind of invincible. <laughs> Drinking does that to you, I the, guess. They're doing their little hand signals. The hey, what's up? The L or whatever, or the J, depending on your point of view. <laughs> well, this kind of makes sense in like a Rastafarian kind of way because they have to go like fight on the spirit realm. So they have to like disconnect from their bodies a little bit. So they get turbo high and they can see things. They just take salvia. <laughs> Other people can't see. Basically, it's not salvia per se, but it's got wind and fire and all kind of stuff in there. And all that kind of thing. The plan now is they get to the ceremony, the wedding ceremony, but they're biding their time because they want to wait until they're sure that Lopan is mortal. So he has to actually marry Miao Yan to appease Ching Dai to reclaim his mortal youthful self. But whenever they're finally ready to bring on the action is, again, and I keep saying this, the best part of the movie, best part of the movie. Every part of this movie is the best part of this movie. But Jack Burton, he's so riled up, he shoots above his head. <laughs> and the rocks fall and knock him out for like the first 10 minutes of this fight. <laughs> Gracie sees that and she goes, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? And then she basically rescues herself. <laughs> yeah, that snaps her out of it, I think. Then when he does get up, this big armor guy comes. 
because Jack can't win. Even when he does the right thing, he's it still incapacitates him. He can't get ahead. <laughs> Pushes the knife through his boot. I loved it. That was cool. Before the chaos kicked off at the wedding, all the monsters were there. They're all hiding. All the like the little beholder was there. He's like, Meh. and the monster guy was like, he's like, they're all excited. It's a wedding. It was nice. Yeah, they're celebrating. They're the friends and family. I'm glad they were invited. Yeah. Lechaim. I, I'm glad they made it. That was really nice. Or they're crashing. Groom or uh, the bride? It's one of those like non-traditional ones where they're like, just sit on whatever side you want. You know, you're here for both. Or all three in this case. Um, I wonder what the spread looks like at that wedding, you know, for the reception. I didn't see a cookie table. Me neither. So I don't think they're in Pittsburgh. The great Pittsburgh tradition of a cookie table for the... <laughs> For those of you who don't know, every wedding has a tremendously sized table covered in cookies. Which you are expected to take home a portion of. A significant portion of because it's unrealistic for you to have a whole meal and still want to eat a lot of cookies. Maybe to some. Maybe to some. Yeah. Now at weddings, they give you like a garbage bag and they're like, just put your arm on the table and slide whatever it is you like into that garbage bag and take it home. And every cookie now tastes like every other cookie because they've been bagged together. This has just been my personal tirade. This has been Cookie Talk. Well, you got to keep the peanut butter separate. Anything that's peanut butter, you got to keep it separate. That's true. And I've noticed. Get the pizzelles out of there. Boy, don't even. Truly, yeah. You don't want everything to taste like anus. We're so close to Easter. I got one of those big mixed bags. We're so <laughs> close to Easter in that it was a couple of days ago. Well, whenever this comes out, it won't have been. Uh, so we're close. To, we're relatively close to Easter. But a- as of record, a couple of days ago. No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, Stevie, this isn't live. Anyway, I got a big bag of candy, and whenever you get those big bags with, like, mixed chocolates, they always put the Reese Cups in there. And the Reese Cups make everything else taste bad, and the Reese Cups taste bad. You can't go backwards. So what? It's a mess up. You have to have individual bags of candies. Kit Kats are okay, because they have extra thick, foily... You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no! Sam's not wrong. This is legit. The Kit Kats are fine. I have no idea! But the stuff that has just foil on it, like the Reese Cups... Tastes like straight trash out of those bags. Boys. It's not right. Boys. The only good Reese Cups are Reese Cups that are in bags that are just for Reese Cups. The Reese's eggs, they're individually wrapped in the plastic. Yeah. The ones wrapped in plastic are okay, but it's still semi-permeable. I don't want the Rollo taste on my Reese Cup. This is the sub-segment of Sam's segment, Cookie Talk. This is Candy Segregation. he could dunk one of those Reese's Ace in the tub and it wouldn't get wet. We also should talk about the fact that we call them Reese's and they're clearly Reese's. (laughs) If you call it Reese's, you're dead inside. (laughs) Some guy named Reese and they're like, no, your name's Reese now. Fuck you, Reese, you're Reese. The best part about it is they specifically invented a candy to correct everyone. Pieces. Yes, but now people call it, say PCs. <laughs> so the, the Reese's is so undeniable. It changes other words. Yeah. Uh, you got any Reese's PCs? Not Reese's Pieces. Which is perfect. Reese's Pieces. Made specifically to cure a poison that we all have in our brains. And it didn't work. <laughs> didn't take. Didn't work. 
the real thing that fucks me up about that all is that I never questioned the PCs. No, me either. Mm-mm. Of course not. No. For like 30 years. Until it was pointed out to me that obviously it's supposed to be Reese's Pieces. And whenever someone <laughs> says that, the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, it truly is. It's much better, actually. It's a much better turn of phrase. It makes way more sense. It's that Mitch Hedberg joke. I get the Reese's candy. If you read that name Reese's, that's an apostrophe S. Reese's apostrophe S on the end of that name. That means the candy bar is his. I didn't know that. Next time you're eating a Reese's candy bar and a guy named Reese comes by and says, let me have that, you better hand it over. I'm sorry, Reese. I didn't think I'd ever run into you. You're a fucking bully, man. Let me at least have a piece. And now I do have a question. I mean, that's not just a Pittsburgh failing, is it? It can't be, right? No, it's Reese's Pieces. Paul F. Tompkins even tweeted that. Okay, thank goodness. If you don't pronounce it Reese's Pieces, you're wrong. Because we're, we're heathens over here. We have our own language. But he's from Philadelphia, so they're heathens over there, too. <laughs> well, okay. That doesn't prove anything. Oh, that doesn't geez. prove out anything. That's just supporting my theory over here. Discount that opinion entirely. <laughs> they have different but very similar garbage mouths. <laughs> the only name of the affliction I could think of. They do got garbage, Johns. Separate but equal garbage mouths. This is no beef with Philly. We got it, too. But they got it just as bad. No, I'm fine with that. I mean, I rep all PA. You know what I mean? I don't want Gritty coming down here and screwing with us. I'd love to give Gritty a big old hug. He's got a real energy I can identify with. That was fun. Let's finish this baby up here. The big fight pans out. Stevie had mentioned something that was like his major touchstone for this when he was a child. Wang Chi running around that archway is one of those things for me. Oh, yeah. This fight is incredible. There's a great choreography, that little Sonic loop-to-loop, perfect. The greatest movie, Sonic. There's a wizard battle, like a little video game break. Egg loses, but it doesn't matter at all. They were just doing it to do it. They both lost. It was a draw. Lopan says, you never could beat me. Peasant magic. The two bigs occupied each other so the minions could fight. Was Victor Wong in the Conan movies, too? I feel like he was in a lot of things. I know he was in Prince of Darkness, which is a Buckwild movie. If you've never seen it, Professor Howard Birak. Isn't Lopan in that one episode of Seinfeld with the Chinese restaurant? Lopan's in everything and probably. He's been in everything for the last 75 years. Victor Wong's in Tremors. I knew that. Victor Wong owns the uh, convenience store in Tremors. I pulled up his IMDb and I'm just looking it over and, and I forget what I was even. Oh, you're saying you don't think he is in Conan, but he is in Three Ninjas Knuckle Up. He's not in Conan. Yeah, he is in that. He's the grandpa in all the Three Ninjas movies kickback original recipe this is a movie that i actually want to see now it might just be because i'm very hungry but it's uh dim sum a little bit of heart he's in the golden child which we talked about he's in the last emperor last emperor which has um shiwan khan john lone think the shadow people are gonna think we're now shoehorning all of our own podcast stuff into this it's that era also we're in the genre zone we're just a six degrees of kevin bacon mm-hmm but it's like six degrees of Sab Shimono. <laughs> Sab Shimono. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, let's finish this baby up. Lopan, Meow, 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 Yen, Escape. They get the little door open. David Lopan's minion comes out for one last attack on Gracie Law, but it's quickly thwarted. Almost just to say, like, remember, this guy exists. They got a kiss in the elevator. And uh, great thing for the rest of the movie, Jack Burton's got big red lipstick on. 
for the final confrontation. <laughs> she does fix it. Eventually, right. It's great, though. You get to find out how excited that Thunder is that his master is flesh. Master, you are flesh. I am. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, Wang's able to distract Thunder. They get in a big old tussle. Thunder chasing Wang around the room. Wang's like flipping around. Just in a circle throwing garbage. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Thunder chasing Wang. And he's just chopping in the air like a kid. Oh, so good. Jack's trying to get Meow Yan away from Lopan. He throws his little boot knife and it misses fantastically, maybe like three feet wide. And you're like, what an idiot. What, is, what was the point of this? Everybody shakes their head. Everyone's a little embarrassed. <laughs> Inexplicably, this makes David Lopan push Meow Yen to Jack Burton to say, like, I can handle this. But for no reason, that was enough to get that separation that Jack Burton needed. Lopan picks up the knife, and here's your reflex callback. It's such an embarrassing thing that Lopan totally lets his guard down. He's like, well, obviously, I don't have to worry about this guy. This guy is an absolute chump. Picks up the knife. He just became flesh after how many years of not being flesh? 2000. It would have just went right through him. He's not used to emotions. It's kind of like a meat youth. Nice. Yikes. Nice. That's really stupid. I did not prepare that one. <laughs> Lopan catches that night right in the brain. It's a great moment, and it's so nice because basically the entire movie has been dunking on Jack Burton. He's messed up with this knife so many times. It's been such a disaster, but he gets one little moment. He has his one shining moment, like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. There's one second where this total doofus is all important, and it's the catch and the throw. Low pans down. That's it. Love those statues going down. It's great. I was really upset they were hollow instead of solid chocolate. Going back to Easter again, are we? <laughs> that is the ultimate disappointment. I really love the extreme lifts on Lopan's little booties. <laughs> what I love is the subtextual possibly sexual uh link between thunder and low pan some hook shmi stuff here because whenever thunder spies that low pan is dead the disappointment the sadness the anger is too much for him to overcome that he's willing to uh explode himself in a feat of wonderful makeup and the inflation inflation is, uh, is just good his foot inflating i mean probably just really regular old it. balloons in there the hands and feet really sell it of all the fighting styles i feel like this is the least effective <laughs> it did take down the house also he looked like a garbage pail kid and i loved it it's destructive very much like a garbage pail kid and he exploded into so many meat chunks pretty ineffective pretty pretty stupid but i love the chunks are such a great touch that i don't care these guys are just in cleanup mode now and obviously they're evil spirits because they have these magic powers because they talk about how in one of these world-building moments, there's a big earthquake and all the bad spirits came out and made it a bunch of trouble. So these three storms must be these bad spirits. Are they now just so hopeless without Lopan? Like, he was their only path back to mortality or whatever, or whatever their deal is, because they all just start burning down the house. Lightning just starts lightning the place. Burning down the house. Exactly. It's like, oh, he's over. Shut it down. So Thunder explodes, Lightning shows up, does one of those 10-minute dance numbers to intimidate, which gives them ample time to escape. <laughs> <laughs> and then they drop a Buddha on him. 
Kurt Russell looks up and sees another hole that they have to get up through to escape, and they see Egg Chen in there, and he's like, Egg, how'd you get up there? And Egg's like, Wasn't easy! <laughs> he's like, get out of the way, and he throws this Buddha statue, and it just slams Lightning's head into pieces. That statue drop is brutal. Egg Chen is ripped, by the way, holding that crosshook thing, and they're just sliding up it, and he's just holding it straight with his hand. More of that peasant magic. They all get away. They find Jack's truck to Pork Shop Express. He immediately drives the wrong direction. Straight through the garage door. And here's where watching the deleted scenes, you get a real treat. So they're not just driving away and uh, Meow Yan and Wang Chi are making out. Like, you get that. That's cool. But Jack Burton sees that Lords of Death car from the beginning. Whenever they kidnapped Meow Yan, that car that they were giving Chase in the very beginning, and he lost. He sees him basically like on the pier, like eating a sandwich, just like hanging out. And he's like, uh, hang on a second. And he drives his truck over to where they are and plows into them off of the dock, straight up murders these people in this car. <laughs> in broad daylight. <laughs> and then as soon as he's done with that, he looks over at everybody in the uh, truck and he's like, I feel much better now. I really do. <laughs> Which is great because it's fitting since the whole movie, he's not the hero and he's no hero. And he sees this as a chance to get back at somebody. And these people are objectively human traffickers and should be killed. As they're driving away, the cops are coming, everything. And then everyone yells, red light! And they slam on the brakes and it shutters to hell. That's just such great storytelling because they're all so amped up that a red light is... They've been doing life or death shit for so long that a red light seems like life or death shit. And then they all like take a moment and Gracie's like, okay, everybody, we're good. We're good. Chill. I thought that's great. Right before they flee and right before they start up the truck, Gracie Law actually does say, and this is a, something I picked up this time through, what was that? And Jack says, a nine point one on the Richter scale or whatever. But is that the monster climbing on board? Could be. She felt like the truck shift backwards or something. Like She was like, what was that? And Jack's just like, oh, me, it's me, baby. Yet again, leading to his eventual downfall. It was definitely 6.9 on the Richter scale because of 69 being the funniest number. Uh, hashtag nice. <laughs> so they have a little epilogue wrap up at the restaurant. Everybody's happy. Everybody's doing great. Jack's having his moment. He's got paid triple or nothing. Yeah, Yen finally has some lines to say. <laughs> nice for her she gets a couple she gets her sag card right at the end there and then there's a little moment with gracie's mom aren't you even gonna kiss her and he says nah i love that <laughs> great moment it's killer it's awesome i mean honestly it's great and i think that was kind of the right play too because like if you wanted to like swing back through town next month gracie would love that shit because i think she's into it and i think she kind of respects it she's like mm, no nah. because now he finally could and she's been dunking on him the whole time. So, I don't know. Pretty cool. He walks off into the sunset. He finally gets, like, his moment to be, like, the cool, like, hero guy. But I don't know. I don't know if they, he ever will get there because there is a little sneaky surprise hanging on the back. Which, I believe, will lead us straight into the comic convergence. or like a comic resurgence. So the comic book, at least the first run, is done by Eric Powell, who did The Goon, which is a pretty funny, kind of similar art style. 
I would say, to Big Trouble in Little China. So it seems like a no-brainer to get this guy. There's a lot of mysticism in that, zombies, etc. But you come to find that the demon on the back of the Porkchop Express was a servant that was bound to Lopan by black magic. And whenever Jack killed Lopan, the bond was transferred to him. And he then becomes basically the owner of this goon, which he names Pete. Oh, that's pretty nice. So the only way for him to lose that bond is for someone to kill him. Oh, he's got a little guy. That demon will follow him all the way through the hell of the flesh-eating serpents who like warm crevices. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's stuck to him worse than herpes, says Egg Shen, to explain it. Well, that's cool. I, and I think that's something I'm absolutely going to check out. At least the first probably 12 issues are Eric Powell and definitely worth a read. The other ones that come after that are still good if you love the source material, which I do. But they dig into more like Old Man Jack territory, which is cool. Kind of like Old Man Logan. Fast forward 40 years and what's Jack Burton doing now? Which is a movie that I would love to see. I just got to say. Supposedly, there is a reboot in the works with Rock the Dwayne Johnson. Do you think he'll be able to be the brunt of the joke? He's a little bit too big. He's too big. He can definitely play foolish. But he doesn't lose a fight. He needs to be able to lose a fight. Nowadays, Willie, I watched a little bit of Jungle Cruise, and he's supposed to be buffoonish. He'll be dad joke goofy, but like Jack Burton needs to be the lowest status. I don't know if he could pull it off. I don't think that anybody could kick the rock's ass. That's what the problem is. I don't believe it. Consider you can get really Jack Diesel and not have any idea how to fight. Be like Andre the Giant and Princess Bride would deter people from whooping your ass, but not keep people from choking you out. If you gave me a Mark Wahlberg old man Jack Burton, I'd buy that. Or even Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, yeah. Who was basically doing Kurt Russell in Guardians. He saw him in Guardians. That's why he's in Guardians too, by the way. Because he said, oh, this guy gets it. He's doing what I did, and everybody thought was stupid, and now they're love nut. <laughs> Maybe we're going too old. Maybe like an Andrew Garfield or something like that. A Garfield, yeah. Or Garfield the cat. Uh-huh. Or Garfield 2, Tale of Two Kitties. Uh. Yeah, or cat. <laughs> John Carpenter was, uh, at least in a, an interview in 2021, said he's he says, I'm ambivalent about a remake. On the other hand, it depends on how much they pay me. So he's willing to do whatever. But it's from what I can see from these eyeballing these articles, it's not to be a remake of the original. I'm not sure if that means reboot, tell a different Jack Burton story or like a soft reboot or a soft sequel. Get into some of those other stories where he's not Jack Burton at all. I would like a soft sequel. A soft sequel is the porn parody. A son of Jack Burton, I think, would be really good. I'd love that. Now we're back into big trouble. <laughs> well, this movie got in quite big trouble at the box office. The budget on this baby was 25 mil, opened to 2.7, and finished out with 11.1 million. So that's pretty tough. But fortunately, pretty much everybody loves this movie. Over on the tomato meter... We've got a score of 75% and an audience score of 82%. So not too shabby. We know who our hero is on this particular episode of Nerdoplexy, and it is our friend, is Steve, because he is the founder of the feast. He's made this episode happen, and you can too. Head on over to nerdoplexy.com and We'll do an episode. For clarity, you can't make this episode happen, but you can make another episode happen. Right, 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 right. But if you get Big Trouble in Little China 2 made, then we, we could make that happen for you. 
Or the way I like to see it is you can make the episode happen to you. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Well, Stevie is our hero, so he could get the first pick to decide who was his favorite or least favorite, who he liked or disliked. It's time for who's a hero. Who's your villain, Stevie? Definitely hero-wise, I gotta go with Wang. My boy single, he single-handedly uh, took out one of the three storms and annoyed the hell out of another one, which I think uh, led to his downfall as well. So, uh, Undoubtedly the hero of the movie. Definitely. Definitely the hero of the movie. My hero is Random Chance. Jack Burton would not have survived without it. Which character is that? Is he one of the Wing Kong? <laughs> He's one of the Wing Kong, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it's every single thing that happens to him. Even getting knocked out was lucky because the fight was too much for him. He would have definitely been killed in the beginning of that massive fight. Finding the sewer in that pool was lucky. Everything was everything that happened. He like Sam put earlier his plus one luck roll that he got. He rolls a lot of critical failures, but he is given inspiration a lot for having cool ideas. <laughs> My hero is going to be Egg Shen. I love that guy. I love his little tricks. I love all. I love everything he's got to offer. What's not to love about Egg Shen? I mean, the six-demon bag, he knows every bit of lore. I often wonder how old is Egg Shen. I think he's 2,000 years old, at least. I think so. I think he's been around as long as David Lopan. Or is he just in a a storied family who passes this stuff on generationally? I don't know. Possible. He could have been fighting him for a long time, and that's why they've crossed paths before. But it seems like he was due a, a very long vacation, so I think he's an old guy at least. Maybe not 2,000, but he's old. My hero is uh, got to be John Carpenter. I did this on another one on our last John Carpenter flick. John Carpenter's my hero. He does the soundtrack, which, dude, it beats ass. He had vision to do this sort of Americanized kung fu flick, but not without having the main characters and everyone be Asian and have the foresight to make it through the eyes of a sidekick with big bravado, but not a lot of skills in particular. He's just very loud and kind of obnoxious. And I love Jack Burton, but he's not a hero. I just love the direction. A lot of the stunts in my eyes hold up. They're so cool. They're silly, some of them, but they're still like, I mean, you can't argue that they're cool. But as is customary, as is the way, as is the way I'll do my villain is the studio. They gave John Carpenter a lot of leeway on this one, but they couldn't understand that Jack Burton was not the main character and not the hero that they had to like force feed you that intro scene with the guy from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. (laughs) The evil sheriff interviewing Egg Shen, the evil sheriff who ends up being a puppet in Killer Clowns, which is a great, wonderful scene. Sometimes a director's got a vision and you just kind of got to let them go with it and trust that it's the best way to go about it. My villain, the guy I really liked to like was that little head full of eyes. I think he was great. (laughs) I love the Guardian. Now that I know that, uh, you know, once Lopan was dead, that he could, you know, went to Jack Burton, I feel a little bit sad. He could have had that. I love the look that he made with his face when he got stabbed in the top eye. Yeah, that like that like contorted look. <laughs> My weak point. I can't believe you found it. It's great luck. Well done and well well utilized in this flick. My no, villain no. is Eddie. He is clearly a gangster and not the good guy. He is a cold blooded killer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he is up for murder at any given point. What? He was making fun of Jack Burton for having shot a gun for the first time in his life. Then he kills those ladies. No, 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 no. Plugging somebody. Plugging. 
not having shot a gun for the first time in his life, for having killed a human for the first time in his life. Fair. For basically not being just totally cool with random death. Eddie is a murderer. Devil's advocate. He is a product of his environment, and he is a survivor, which I think is important. He didn't have to enjoy it. My villain is also a villain in my eyes as well. Thunder sucks. I hate that guy. He's so stupid. His big moves, he blows himself up. What the hell? Get out of here. Lame. Now, I was going to say he was my secondary villain, but not because I didn't like him, but because I did like him, because I loved that subtextual romance that was likely unrequited. You know, Sexual. He, had a, he seemed like he had a real big thing for Lopan, and maybe Lopan didn't, didn't have a thing for him. He's kind of been in this immortal dance. You're saying he's the Smithers to Lopan's Burns. But an immortal Smithers to Lopan's Burns. Now I feel bad for him. <laughs> Way to go. That's what I wanted. I wanted to make sure you could feel bad before we were done here. There we Yeah, all right. Well, I think um, I can speak for all of us here when I would say that we would all absolutely recommend this. Anybody got any final thoughts? I think it sucks. Nobody should watch it. <laughs> this movie makes you think that, like, holding a knife in your teeth is cool. Kids, it's not cool. It's dangerous. <laughs> They've seen The Dark Knight. Don't do it. That's how you get those scars. Exactly. Are you saying that Jack Burton is the Joker? I'm saying joke burton he's a kid influenced by the joker maybe there it is the jacker <laughs> the jacker of the jack burton joke jacker that's crusty the clown well i think this movie's great i think it's a lot of fun <laughs> to look at a lot of cool special <laughs> effects a lot of cool fight scenes if you've never seen it if this is the first time you're hearing about it do yourself a favor go ahead and pick this one up and i was saying it was a shame that you hadn't really gotten to explore this in your youth but i feel so much better that you've watched it more recently and it still does kind of sit in that sweet spot for you and i would absolutely recommend to anyone and i envy you for getting to see this for the first time <laughs> it's been quite a journey i'm excited to look into the comics that synth sound is coming back too did it ever leave? <laughs> Not if I can help. John Mayer's bringing it back. I know that. Look out. <laughs> That's your John touch Mayer. Point? That's my boy. That's how you can tell something's back. If John Mayer's doing it, baby. John Mayer's bringing it back. <laughs> it's always coming back. He's finally adopted that style. John Mayer's a ghost. John Mayer's a ghost. <laughs> You didn't do the whoosh. You mean the, the ha? It's, it's not a whoosh, it's a ha. You sound like a ghost. I sound like John Mayer. John Mayer sounds like a ghost. Welcome to the real world, she said to me, condescendingly. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Stevie for making this episode possible. Thanks, Stevie. Thank you, Stevie. Wow, you're all welcome. I'm sure everybody's very, very happy about Big Trouble in Little China. As soon as this episode goes out, Stevie's going to cancel his... Monthly $5. Well, hey, as long you just got to wait till it goes live because, I mean, hey, maybe we won't release it, baby. Um, We can always delete it. Hold me hostage. You can join the ranks of the elite nerdies over at nerdaplexy.com and uh, subscribe at a monthly level, and then you can get your own bonus episode. I mean, you might be able to get uh, a host as well, but, I mean, we, 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 we know this guy. We won't make you do that, though. It's just if you want to. All weirdos are welcome, but like something we 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 gotta send us a little test clip of you talking. We gotta we gotta vet you a bit, <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit. Here we'll say thanks to we'll say thanks to Megan. She she brought us uh, brought about Trek too. Yes, yes, and I do, I do apologize uh, for that. So. <laughs> 
we didn't have her as a host, but I think it's because she was uh, she was pranking us, so she probably wouldn't have wanted to. <laughs> no, that's a genuine watch. That's a genuine watch. I've had this conversation. It's the best of the Shreks. Truly great. Although I do like Rumpelstiltskin as a character. He's my favorite Shrek character, but not in the best Shrek movie. Mongo. I mean, hands down. But thank you all for listening. Uh, check us out for the next episode. Uh, it'll probably be a mini or something. I don't know. This is a bonus. Who knows where it's going to land. So stay tuned. For the Shrek's episode. Oh, our next episode. Our next episode will be what you pick. So um, check that out. Let us know what movie you'd like to see as a bonus episode over at nerdaplexy.com or at nerdaplexy at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at nerdaplexypod on Twitter, where you can interact with our social media manager and weird-ass stuff aficionado. It's Dave. Yeah, you can hit me up at the face of Dave on Twitter and let me know what your favorite B-movie was. Are you calling this a B-movie? Oh, uh, it. I love it. Cheers. Cherry. How dare you? Cherry, how could you? <laughs> well, until we meet again for whatever episode that may or may not be, we'd like to leave you with this thought to ponder. The uh, Chinese characters at the very beginning of this movie. Which one, Egg Shen? Translate. No, no, no. <laughs> at, at, during the title sequence. Is it Wang? They translate to. Wang is a Chinese character at the beginning of the movie. Yes. Why would they, de- why would they name him Wang? <laughs> they translate. They knew what they were doing. To. Evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state. Ah. Oh, that's really good. You guys can uh, commence with your japeries now. I had nothing. No, there's a lot of Chinese characters in this movie, Reed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are you trying to say? Victor Wong is a Chinese character. <laughs> character actor. That's all right. Dingoes. You just listen to the old pork chop express here now and take his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down in sheets thick as lead. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. Uh, oh, I guess I gotta stop it first, huh? Nah. It, who wants to stop this gold, really? <laughs>